0: Every Sunday, after a big civil rights march, Dr. King used to get up into the pulpit on a Sunday morning and tell a story for the marcher's benefit. It was the story of Sister Pollard. Sister Pollard was a 70-year-old woman from Montgomery who, in spite of her age and her failing health, was nonetheless a, a dedicated foot soldier in the Montgomery bus boycott and the story goes that one day while she was walking through Montgomery doing her errands someone drove by in a car and asked sister Pollard if she wanted a ride no thank you she said And the driver asked but ma'am aren't you aren't you tired sister Pollard replied My feet are tired, but my soul is rested. My feet are tired, but my soul is rested. This morning, many of us can say with Sister Pollard that our feet are tired and cold, perhaps, And for those of us who spent the last two nights sleeping on the floor in the basement of the church, our backs might not feel too well either. Our feet are tired, but our souls are rested. Our souls are rested. Our souls are rested because we heeded the call of our conscience. Our souls are rested because we stood up for what we believed in. Our souls are rested because we met wrong with right. Our souls are rested because we know the peace of mind that comes when our actions and our conscience are of one accord. It is a good feeling, this peace. It is a good feeling to know that our actions are true to our values. Because so often, unfortunately, we live with a gaping chasm between the two, between our ideals and our actions, between our lives as we know they should be, and our lives as they are. And when this is the case, then our souls... ...say that while our feet may be tired, our souls are rested. Or are they? Are they rested? You know, sometimes I wonder if we will ever know the peace of mind that someone like a Sister Pollard must have known. I wonder if we'll ever rest as secure as she must have in the knowledge that we have met wrong with right. It seems like back then the moral lines were drawn sharper, more clearly. Maybe it's just hindsight, but it seems that back then it was easier to distinguish the good guys from the bad guys. Today the world is a more complicated place. So often it feels like we're not choosing good over evil, but merely between the lesser of two evils. After all, our nation is preparing for war against an unscrupulous, capricious, and brutal dictator. A dictator who has sought to exterminate a minority population within his border, a dictator who has refused to alleviate the suffering of his people when he could. We can all agree, I think, that the world would be a better place with Saddam Hussein out of power, and yet many of us marched yesterday to prevent our nation from using war as a means to his removal. Now, I can understand how people of integrity could choose otherwise. I disagree, but I can understand. And that may be the curse of a liberal. You know, the columnist George Packer wrote recently that a liberal is someone temperamentally inclined to see the world as a complicated place. (laughs) If that's a liberal, then I'm guilty as charged. But if that's what liberals believe, then the liberals are right. The world is a complicated place. And because that's so, perhaps our souls will never be completely rested. Perhaps we will never know the peace, the assurance that Sister Pollard knew. But let me say this, that is no excuse for inaction. The sin of liberals, and here I count myself among the sinners, But the sin of liberals, our tragic flaw is that we can become paralyzed by our sophisticated and nuanced and complicated view of the world. We use it as an excuse for inaction. But friends, just because the world is a complicated place doesn't mean that we don't know the difference between right and wrong anymore. It's no excuse. Or inaction for there are some things that we know are true we know for example that ultimately a war against Iraq is not a war against Saddam Hussein it's a war against the Iraqi people they will die not him that we know is true We know that the best doctrine of preemption is not to declare war as if it were a point of personal privilege, but that the best doctrine of preemption is to create a world where justice and equity prevail, for in that world there will be no need of war. We know that is true. We know that it is wrong for another nation's children to die in order to quench the unslakeable thirst of another nation's sport utility vehicles. We know that is true. We know that the churches should spend less time talking about theories of just war and more time talking about practices of just peace. We know that America the democracy can bless the world but that America, the empire, will surely curse it. We know that is true. And for these reasons, for these reasons and for others, we marched yesterday for peace. Our feet may be tired, but our souls are rested. You know, the other day on Dr. King's birthday, Coretta Scott King was interviewed on television. And toward the end of the interview, the reporter asked her what her husband would have thought about impending war with Iraq, and Mrs. King demurred. She said no, she didn't like to get into the habit of speaking on behalf of her husband, putting words into her, his mouth. But in this case, she said, there was no doubt. Martin would have opposed this war, she said. It's against everything he held dear. And indeed, one year to the day before his death, King spoke at Riverside Church in New York to a gathering of clergy and laity concerned, an ecumenical group formed to oppose the war in Vietnam. And he said this, the war in Vietnam is but a symptom of a far deeper malady with the American spirit. And if we ignore this sobering reality, he said, we will find ourselves organizing clergy and laity concern committees for the next generation. They will be concerned about Guatemala and Peru. They will be concerned about Thailand and Cambodia. We will be marching for these and a dozen other nations and attending rallies without end unless there is a significant and profound change in American life and policy. Such thoughts take us beyond Vietnam, he said, but not beyond our calling. As children of the living God. Yes, Dr. King would be disappointed that we still have to march today, but he would not be surprised. Last night here at the church, we fed about 300. Hungry Unitarian marchers from around the country. We had another 60 or so sleeping on our basement floor. Still another couple dozen slept at your homes this weekend. And I want to thank those of you who helped provide all the hospitality on this weekend, who helped provide all the organization. I want to thank our social justice committee who organized the event, who who created housingforpeace.com to organize the whole effort. I want to thank our most recent Roots and Wings class who made the dinner, who cleaned up afterwards, and all of you who marched yesterday. If you participated in any way in the events of yesterday here at the church or down in the mall, I want you to stand now so we can thank you all and thank one another. Thank you. Thank you. You know, after dinner last night, we had a small program here in the sanctuary that began with a slideshow. A young woman from the Unitarian Universalist Washington office had just returned from a delegation to Iraq, and she showed us her slides. The ones I remember the most, the ones that I saw when I closed my eyes to go to sleep last night, were the pictures of the Iraqi children. Puckish children looking curiously into a foreigner's camera lens. School children playing in a courtyard, going about their daily lives under the threat of war. We know how that feels like, don't we, a little bit? In the wake of September 11th and the sniper attacks. And then there were the pictures of the children, babies mostly, wasting away in their mother's arms. In Iraq, children die from simple things, preventable things like respiratory infections and diarrhea. There were also pictures of horribly deformed babies lying like specimens in hospital cribs. Birth defects are common now in Iraq. During the Gulf War, the United States became the first military to use shells made out of depleted uranium. Depleted uranium remains radioactive for 4.5 billion years. When one of these shells hits its target, most of it explodes, and the dust from the shell blows through the air, some of it ending up in people's lungs, others ending up in the local water supply. Doctors suspect that the uranium is causing the birth defects. US veterans suffering from Gulf War syndrome suspect the same cause for their ailments. We saw pictures of a few children last night, but experts estimate that a half million babies have died in Iraq because of the aftermath of the first war and the ensuing sanctions. In other words, About as many children have died needlessly in Iraq as there are residents of Washington, D.C. We know that ultimately a war against Iraq is not a war against Saddam Hussein. It is a war against the Iraqi people and against the Iraqi children. They will die, not him. We know that is true because we've seen it happen already. So last night as I tried to go to sleep with these images in my mind, I thought ahead to this morning to the beautiful service we would have here and to the two children that we would welcome into this world and into our community this morning. And I thought to myself that every child deserves a warm welcome into the world. No child deserves less. During our dedication ceremony, we said it is our faith that each child born is one more Redeemer. Yet since the Gulf War, we've been accomplice to the murder of a half million children. I dare say that our world can't afford to lose any more Redeemers. In our service this morning, we acknowledge the divine spark that dwells within each child. But with so many children dying of war and HIV and famine across the world, we are in danger of extinguishing not only the sparks, but the very light of God itself. Friends, Let us not, by our actions, make our children mortal and perpetual enemies of the children of the world. This morning we pledged to be worthy guardians of these young lives. To build a community, we said, in which they will grow old, surrounded by beauty, embraced by love, cradled in the arms of peace. Friends let that be our promise to all the children of the world. Let us build a land for all the world's redeemers. God help us. Amen.